milehighradio.com. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. I'm not ashamed to say. Hello and welcome to another fantastic Monday morning and another episode of The Socialite. And no, I don't have a cold. This is Hugh Briss from socialidentities.com. I'm filling in for Deb. She's on vacation for a couple weeks. I think she told me she's relaxing on a warm beach in Hawaii or the Caribbean or... Oh, wait. No, I remember now. She's up there in Alaska. I hope it's not too cold yet. Um, I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today because, well, he's a legend in his own mind. He's best known as the person who coined the Oxford Dictionary of English Accepted Term Tweet-Up. But in his spare time, he's also the global head of social media at the Ford Motor Company and is also the world's most foremost authority on Sherlock Holmes. So put your hands together and give it up for Scott Monty. Well, hey, Scott, are you there? No, Hugh, he has not uh, signed in yet. He's, uh, he's online, but he hasn't given us a call yet. So okay. I guess we, uh, we stalled just a little <laughs> so bit. So I will... Well, what I'll do is go ahead and continue with my intro that I planned after he said, hey, howdy. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll fill in for the hey and howdy. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. So anyway, they, let's see. Um, I got a lot of questions for Scott today, but I thought for the few people who aren't familiar with who he is, I'd give him a little background information and uh, and read something from his website here. So, Scott is ranked by Forbes. It uh, looks like he's popping online now. Scott is ranked by Forbes as one of the top ten influencers in social media. He has been called an unstoppable force of nature, the best corporate social media elite on the planet, and the CEO of Ford calls him a visionary. In addition to his position at Ford, he does lots of other things. And I'll read from his website what he says about himself. <laughs> Scott is an active blogger and podcaster. He writes about the intersection of advertising, marketing, and PR at scottmonte.com and also writes the Baker Street blog and co-hosts I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, two literary undertakings. Scott has been featured in hundreds of news and business publications and printed on the web in nearly dozens of books, and I guess that means more than one dozen, but less than two dozen, and on a variety of mainstream media, including NBC, NPR, CNN, and the Wall Street Journal. Scott is a recognized thought leader in the social media industry and frequently speaks at industry events. So I see Scott's picture on my screen here, so I'm assuming he's here. Scott, are you there? Is anybody there? Well, I'm here. Scott should be okay. here. I see his picture on my Skype. Yeah, he says he can't hear anything. Um, Maybe he has his speakers plugged in the wrong port. Uh, that might be. I, I, not not being with him, I, I have no idea what the problem is. Well, he's a podcaster, so I'm guessing he knows <laughs> which uh, plug the mic cord yeah. goes in. <laughs> well, let's hope so. All right, well, maybe he needs to call in on the landline. Yeah, that would be good. I'll uh, send him a text. Okay. All right, let's see if there's anything else I can say about him in the meantime. <laughs> I 
I was going to compliment him on uh, on um, the way he dresses. He, um, I don't know, I don't know, I've seen a few pictures of him, but not very many where he's not wearing a suit. Um, and they're always very nice tailored suits, French cuffs, cufflinks. Um, so I was going to ask him if he dresses like that because he he likes it. Or because uh, that's what is expected, you know, that old dress for success adage. So we still aren't speaking with Scott, so I'm still just talking to myself. <laughs> All right, so I'll just keep going here, and we'll pretend that there's answers coming behind these questions. Um, Well, probably best not to go starting on the questions because without the answers, it's not really going to do much good. Scott, are you there? Looks like somebody's phone. Oh. There he is. Okay. Scott. Yes, sir. What up? <laughs> <laughs> Skype. Skype wasn't working for you this morning, huh? I I could hear you know my audio setup and everything, but I wasn't getting any kind of feed on um, huh. on uh, on in the audio after one night when you guys hooked me in. Well, uh, at least you're here now. That's the good thing. So I've already kind of gone through your intro, explaining yeah. who you are and what you do, but uh, I didn't uh, go too far into depth on a lot of stuff, just sort of gave me some brief background. I did just give you a compliment on your um, the way you dress. Uh, I was going <laughs> to add to the end of the list of accolades that I just finished reading about you, I was going to add one of my own and say that you're. I'm going to give you the title of the most dapper man in social media well that's not too hard though <laughs> well uh, you know i mean i got a feeling you spend a lot of time in uh, men's clothing stores uh not as often as i would like but <laughs> well you posted that picture the other day was that was that a place in london or something that men's store that you posted the picture it was a few um, days ago. You said you bought I'm some, not i, I posted a lot of stuff so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a very old fashioned looking store, like a place where Sherlock Holmes might be shopping or I, something. Well, I do like to get down to Savile Row every time I'm in London. So, yeah, that might have been where it was. So. You said uh, I forget what it was you bought. Um, two pairs of something that it's not a term we use very commonly. So I'm assuming they were something uh, antique, maybe. But uh, okay, so uh, let's see. Uh, before. I think what I want to do, obviously, I've already introduced you. I think most people are familiar with what you do. I've already covered the fact that you, you work for Ford. But um, I thought let's start sort of at the beginning and and, um, and work our way up. So uh, let me say here that your early years were are shrouded in mystery. But it is known that you attended college. And while you were there, you earned a degree in classical civilization. And then you got dual masters in medical science and healthcare management looks like you were planning a career in the medical field. So how did you get from there to being the god of social media at Ford? Uh, well, I, it's been a long and tortuous uh, journey. Um, you know, very few of these things actually go in the direction that you expect them to go. And I think that's, that's a great lesson for life is that, you know, we're thrown so many different opportunities and challenges and everything and, um, you know, setting yourself up for, uh, success, no matter which way the world turns, is absolutely essential. And I was pre-med when I was an undergrad. And the reason I selected classics 
as a major is because I knew I'd be completely pounded over the head with science for the rest of my career. So why not open myself up to something different, something uh, more worldly at the time, and uh, become well-read? And um, in retrospect, uh, that was probably one of the um, one of the smartest things I could have done because, to me, and and this is again kind of in retrospect, but um, to me, uh, the great benefit there was having an understanding as to how history rolled out, how people have interacted over uh, you know historic times, and that understanding at the end of it all, we're still the same human beings today that we were two, three thousand years ago. We still want the same things. We're still interested in, you know, having a voice and um, what's in it for us and, you know, contributing to making a lasting impact in the world. And I think understanding those fundamentals is absolutely critical for today's communications and marketing professional, uh, even though the technology is light years beyond what it was some thousands of years ago. So, um, you know, from there, I uh, went on to uh, start a graduate program at uh, uh, medical school and realized quickly uh, I didn't want to have science uh, in my life as, uh, as uh, domineering as it would be in that kind of profession. And I looked around to see what I could do with the master's degree in medical science. And uh, I actually uh, found an MBA program that was offered in uh, as a dual degree with the master's in medical science. And this was the early 90s, I guess. So looking at where medic uh, medicine was going, healthcare, I thought, well, wouldn't it be helpful to actually have some business knowledge and some scientific knowledge <laughs> of, uh, of, of medicine, be, be a double threat, as it were. And... Um, did that for a while in a managed care environment and then left to go to a consultancy that specialized in medical device and pharmaceutical and biotech uh, deal making, finding big partners for small promising companies that had great technology. And that worked out well until September 11th hit and then the whole deal making market just dried up because nobody wanted to spend uh, their cash. It was a very uncertain time. Right. And uh, from there, went to work for a uh, an advertising and marketing firm that specialized in high tech and healthcare, and that's where I kind of got the social media bug, and just started devouring everything I could, and it started expressing my own thoughts through my blog, and um, we were off and running. Right. And, and so then, from that from that ad agency, then you made your way over to be the consigliere for Crayon. Um, and when you say crayon, is that a euphemism for the mafia? <laughs> no, uh, crayon was a, uh, a company uh, at the time. Oh, it was a real company. It wasn't a front oh, yeah. for the. Okay, so no. consigliere in this case must mean something other I than would, it did in The Godfather, right? I well, consigliere was uh, Tom Hagen's job uh, within uh, the Godfather series, and so right. he was the uh, the lawyer, the trusted advisor to the family. Right. And uh, I was kind of head of client services for Crayon, so I was the trusted advisor for all of our clients. Okay, and so you say you got sort of evolved into social media after you started blogging, which is you know pretty much probably the first social media that we think of. Um, that was way before Facebook and, and Twitter and all that. And then at some point, um, you know, you, you made the transition and started 
working your way into other social the social networking um, places. And it, I guess somewhere around there, what, which would have been what two thousand nine or so, is that when you ended up going from Crayon to Ford? Uh, Ford actually approached me first in um, late two thousand seven. Okay. Uh, and I turned them down <laughs> because um, I, I wasn't too keen on moving to Detroit. I had been in Boston for nearly 20 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, it, this was not a virtual job. You know, that was my first question because at Crayon, we were all, you know, kind of connected via Skype and uh, IM and, and everything. And we were all around the Northeast. And um, they said, no, this is this is a corporate job. It's a kind of a leadership role. We, we actually need you here in uh, in Dearborn. And I said, no, thanks. You know, I'm not really interested. The timing just wasn't right and uh, just didn't feel like the right opportunity for me. Well, what ended up happening is because of that interaction, I started following what Ford was doing more closely. Suddenly Ford was on my radar. And I looked at the leadership team. I looked at the uh, proposed product cadence. I looked at everything that the company was doing to line itself up for success. And about four months later, we reconnected. And the job was still open. Uh, they hadn't found the right person. They said my name kept coming up. So wouldn't I just humor them, come out here and, you know, have a few interviews and, you know, meet some people and then make up my, my mind. And that's exactly what I did. So came out. Yeah, and, and so I, once you saw Detroit, that was it. You just knew that was where you had to be, right? Well, it, it was one From Boston to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, not, not the most likely of uh, transitions. But once I saw the team, once I really got a good understanding for what they were doing and, and seeing how talented and intelligent and passionate people were about this company, I knew that there was really something special going on there. And um, I kind of proposed that by 2010, you know, Ford would be making a resurgence. And, and also by 2010, uh, social media would become more mainstream. And lo and behold, here we are. And so that's why the CEO of Ford calls you a visionary. You, uh, wait. you saw social media coming before it was actually here. I guess so. I, you know, I, I don't have access to the inside of his head, and that, that was a, an extraordinary compliment for me. Yeah. But, uh, Alan is just, he's such a great leader. He brings out the best in people. He knows how to bring a team together and, and, um, and, and really get everyone working on the same page. Was the Fiesta movement, was that your first project, or was that, I guess that was probably one of your first major projects? Well, that was actually born out of our uh, brand and content alliance team and marketing, um, who they, they do all the, the big campaigns. And, um, you know, I, I merely uh, consulted on that a bit, but um, they're, they're the ones who kind of saw it through. Uh, you know, I get a lot of credit for that, but I don't okay. really deserve it. You know, it's, it's certainly something that we all worked on together, but uh, that was the, the first big splash in the social that Ford had outside of the digital hand-to-hand combat that we had to do during the bailout hearings and, and making our case clear um, that, that we were different. And, and I actually oversaw the development of a site that we put together over Thanksgiving weekend in 2008 called the Ford Story, which is now Ford Social. You can find it at social.ford.com. 
but it was basically designed to help us differentiate ourselves from the other two U.S. automakers and help people understand what it is that we were already doing and what our what our plan was. And you know, together with the Fiesta movement, that just kind of sent us roaring into the middle of 2009, mm-hmm. and um, you know, haven't looked back. Well, I, I read somewhere that it. Um you know, of course, like you say, they were giving you most of the credit for that. But uh, it, they went, gained uh, like a million uh, likes on Facebook or something around that period of time, and and the Twitter account really blew up. But and for the, for the people out there that aren't familiar with what we're talking about with the Fiesta movement, that was back in 2009. So I guess they were just introducing the Fiesta at that time, um, and the co- company. Um, Anticipated that the the car would appeal to younger drivers. Um, that was sort of the reason for for thinking about using social media. And then, so what Ford did was apparently gave a hundred Ford Fiestas to a hundred different people. Um, what they paid for their gas and insurance. They gave them video cameras. And then they were supposed to record their honest reviews about the car while they were driving the car. And then they were also asked to tweet and post videos. Um, and then it says that uh, the campaign sparked chatter on social media and the driver-generated content became the basis for the company's TV spots and print ads. And that, you know, that kind of is, is a really good point, too, right there, because that shows the whole viral aspect of the video part of that campaign. The fact that, you know, guys, people were out there driving cars and then tweeting about it in 140-character bursts or, you, you know, maybe writing a review or something, I don't think would have been anywhere near as interesting as the fact that these people actually were given cameras. And so, you know, while they were driving the cars, they're creating these little videos, posting them. People are, their friends are seeing them and, and, and sharing them and all that. So, um, obviously that was a brilliant campaign and did very well. Now, from what I read, the company's planning on revamping it and using the same basic idea to introduce the 2014 Fiesta. Yeah, it's actually um, it's been ongoing since uh, May. Oh, so it already started. Okay. There we go. And um, we just uh, actually made an announcement uh, last week in terms of some sales numbers that uh, the Fiesta is now the number one vehicle for uh, millennials. So we're absolutely yeah. dead on with that target. We we achieved right. our goal, you know, in terms of generating awareness for the vehicle. That was the the number one uh, thing we could have done back then, and. You know, over the course of four years, the Fiesta has, um, you know, been a a major part of the small car market. It's a B platform car, so it's smaller than what you're used to with like a uh, a Focus, for example. But um, what we what we ended up seeing, interestingly, was not only millennials getting into it, but but uh, baby boomers as well, as they were uh, downsizing, as they were, um, you know, moving into the cities or uh, you know, becoming empty nesters, they uh, didn't have to have the, the same large vehicles that they had to and didn't want them, quite frankly. And uh, so we've seen this kind of double spike of uh, sales, both with boomers and millennials. It's mm-hmm. been absolutely fascinating. Does that car have the onboard connection to the Internet? And can you sync your your phones and, and stuff like on some of the other cars? Yeah, our, our sync system, which was actually introduced in the Focus in 2008, um, and there's a reason it started at the at the low end of vehicles rather than at the high end. We didn't want to make this a luxury item. We wanted to, um, you know, in, in in Henry Ford's 
vision originally, he wanted to open the highways to all mankind. He wanted to make affordable transportation for all. And our strategy is still based on that same vision, although today it's about affordable fuel economy. It's not a halo electric vehicle that very few people can afford. It's about building best-in-class fuel economy across all of our vehicles. And with technology, it's about affordable technology for everyone. So, again, not just the infotainment system for, you know, the luxury line for, for Lincoln or the higher-end uh, Fords, but for everyone. So mm-hmm. you're going to be able to find that sync system and, and the MyFord Touch system in virtually uh, every model that we have. And those are voice activated, right? I mean, you don't have to be sitting there pushing a bunch of buttons while you're driving down the road. We've got um, both voice activation and um, buttons that are embedded on the steering wheel, so you don't have right. to take your hands off the wheel. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. <laughs> and, and how does that work with the, you know, the states? I know California's got some pretty strict mobile phone laws. Florida. Where I am, I don't. We don't have any. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you'd be amazed how many idiots you see driving down the road with their phone in front of them, trying to hold the steering wheel of the phone at the same time they're texting. You know, but um, yep. so the, the hands-free, you know, I guess applies everywhere, no matter what their laws are about using phones or or whatever while you're driving. Or do you know? Um, well, our our whole take on all of this is. Look, we're not going to be able to um, get people to stop using their phones in the car. That's simply become such an ingrained part of people's life outside of the car. Mm-hmm. When they take it into the car, they, they don't want to sacrifice that connectivity. So our philosophy is, okay, how do we take that understanding of human behavior and help people do it in a safer way? Okay, so, if, so for example, um, we actually have the ability to get incoming uh, text messages. You, know, you can press a button on the steering wheel, and the prompt comes up, and you say, listen to text, mm-hmm. and it'll read your text uh, to you. Um, so we absolutely want people to think about what they can do that, as a priority, keeps their eyes on the road and their hands on the wheel. And then, you know, the, the, sync, the sync system is great because um, we're we're actually going into a we have already gone into a, um, a, a developer, almost Apple-like uh, approach where we're opening an API or you know, the software developer kit to developers. And you can find it at developer.ford.com. Um, and we're working with OpenXC as part of the open platform system to allow people to go in and design their own apps. Now, obviously, we're not going to just let any app in the car Um, People are going to be able to watch streaming videos as they're driving down the highway. Um, But our engineering team is available to actually coach people through and help them with the development of the apps and then to actually test and approve the apps that we think are worthwhile. So we've already launched some uh, Sync App Link apps with partners like the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, you know, where you, you can actually get the news read to you. Not in a Stephen Hawking-like computer voice, but like real news readers, real human beings reading the articles to you. They should have um, you do it. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you know, the, <laughs> well, you got plenty of time, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So the but okay, we, so now the the um, the stuff we're talking about, um, 
like you say, you, it's kind of hard to force people to stop doing it. So you're just trying to help them find the safest way to do it. But the thing that kills me is last night I was driving down the street just heading out of our neighborhood and a lady had backed out of her driveway in front of me and apparently she was unaware of the fact that I was behind her. So she's driving along about, you know, 10 miles an hour and for a good long way. And I could tell she was either trying to dial somebody on her phone or, or texting one. Um, oh, it, but the part that kills me is she just backed out of her driveway. So, right. you, you know, that's the thing about, like you say, people are so ingrained, you know, with using our phones and, and the technology anywhere we can want. You know, we sit there in a coffee shop, we walk down the sidewalk. I mean, we're always doing it. But when you get in the car, it still seems like there's a bit of common sense involved there. And, and how hard would it have been before she backed out of the driveway to do whatever it was she was doing, yeah. you know, rather than backing out and starting down the road and then doing it, you know. But yeah. um, So anything that's hands-free and doesn't require somebody to take their eyes off the road, uh, you know, I'm all for anything like that, even though there's still going to be a certain amount of distraction involved in anything that requires you to think, you know, and not spend 100% of your focus on what you're you're supposed to be doing at the time but um let let me uh segue into something else here still we're still talking social media but i read this quote from you the other day and um i think it's really good you said the best thing that companies can do is play an active part in these online communities they can't be seen as an advertising platform um obviously ford and you scott bonte use social media a lot um i'm assuming ford uses social media as an advertising platform i guess you're saying um the important thing is to, to realize that it can't just be strictly an advertising platform and it's definitely not just a broadcast media if we're going to be i mean the whole point of a social community is the fact that there's going to be dialogue and people talking back and forth so one of the things i'm curious about is do you think Ford uses social media more to sell cars, even though, yeah, they're still talking to um, and listening to the people? Are they they're using it more to sell the cars or more as a customer service? Um, or neither, right? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but hopefully it's in there. Maybe they just do it in such a way nobody notices, right? Well, I think the the, the real power of social, for the most part, is through the upper funnel activities. It's through awareness. It's through changing people's perception about a brand rather than about the transactional. And yeah, I understand, particularly in, in consumer packaged goods uh, things, you can absolutely tie e-commerce to social. Um, but in our case, most of the activity that we do is around uh, that general awareness. And there's, I, I just listened to... Um, Mitch Joel's Six Pixels of Separation podcast, and he had uh, Avinash Koshik on from Google. He's the Google Analytics guy. Mm -hmm. And Avinash was talking about how companies need a uh, see, think, and do strategy around content because you're going to find that customers are constantly in flux between those three states, see, think, and do. Do they need to see what your product is? Do they need to think about more deeply what your product does or how it can help them? And do they need to take an action by going out and buying? You know, and understanding that people are at different phases in the sales cycle is absolutely 
uh, critical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you, you mentioned it in your, in your comment there about, you know, mass communications or mass marketing to people. We've really fallen down, I think, in social, uh, particularly on the business side, where um, we're, we're using it as a mass communications channel. We're using it to blast out to people. Why else are brands so intent on getting, you know, a million likes on Facebook or, you know, 100,000 followers on Twitter? It's not about blasting the same message to everyone, or it shouldn't be, right? You should understand where people are. And I think. What's really exciting for us for the future is partnering with Facebook and using some of the uh, data and uh, analytics that they're able to bring into um, uh, the, the system, how they're able to take different platforms and, um, and put them together, and to extract that data and, and make recommendations or share content based on what we specifically know people are up to, different life events that they've had, different uh, actions they've taken outside of Facebook that are, uh, again, then brought together with all these data uh, partners, that's going to be able to allow us to be more targeted and more specific with people in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, I, you know, that way uh, people are far more inclined to um, follow what the company is doing and um, share that with their friends and that's the you know i think that's one of the big things about social media is is we want to create a lot of evangelists uh you know people who are uh, love our product or service and they they are willing to go out there and tell their friends about it so um you know it's not so much a fact of having to advertise and promote all the time like in my case it's not like i'm constantly posting you know, my latest designs and stuff, you know, what I'm doing is hoping that the people um, that read my content share that content with their friends. Those people find out about me and indirectly find out about what I'm offering um, as a service. All right, so we're about halfway through here, and I'm hoping that since we got started a little bit late, the producer's not going to be too upset with me if we run a tiny bit long. But at this point, um, we need to take a break. Maybe you can get a drink of water or something and um, take a little break, let the station pay their bills, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Thank you for being a friend. Travels down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Great shows. Great music. MileHighRadio.com. What are you listening to? Parenting is a rewarding experience that comes with challenges. Every parent experiences moments when they are overwhelmed or frustrated. Families First wants you to know you are not alone. Colorado parents can call 1-800-CHILDREN for answers, resources, and support. This free confidential support line can be the difference between struggling alone and finding the support you need to strengthen your family. Call 1-800-CHILDREN or visit www.familiesfirstcolorado.org. Hey, Mile High listeners, this is Tara Lee, the Denver Nutritionista. I want to tell you about Ignite Max. It's an all-natural product that helps manage appetite, increases metabolism so you can burn more calories, and it's clinically proven to help reduce body fat. It's literally the only fat burner I've ever taken that gives me sustained energy throughout the day with no crash. Literally, no crash. It helps keep my energy up for my long days and helps get my butt to the gym for my workouts. Ignite Max burns up to 278 calories per dose. That's almost 8,000 calories in one month. Y'all know me. 
I'm all about natural, but Ignite Max only contains green tea extract. It contains natural ingredients found in seaweed, raspberry ketones, black pepper extract, and ginseng extract. It's all natural. I won't put anything in my body that isn't, so you know that this is a really great product. Just take two tablets per day, one with breakfast and one with lunch. And for an even greater effect, take one right before your workout. Whew, you're going to have one heck of a workout. Take it for 90 days. Give it a shot. Really let your body get used to it and adjust it and see the, and feel the difference in your energy. 90 days to make a difference in your life. To order Ignite Max, call 888-700-DIET or go to gogetfin.com. That's 888-700-DIET or gogetfin.com to order Ignite Max today. Okay, we're back uh, talking with Scott Monty, social media manager for Ford, and um, we were just finishing up our, our thought about how Ford sees uh, their the best way to use social media. So, I, what I wanted to do right now was talk to you about maybe some of the networks that uh, either are doing better for you than others, or or maybe uh, explain how you're using each one slightly differently. One of the things that I think is um, interesting is, you know, Google Plus came along a couple years ago, and my first reaction was, it's going to be another wave. You know, they're just trying to get into social again, and it's it's going to be about as successful as wave was. But I think the difference at that time was that there were a lot of people like Guy Kawasaki and, and um, people that instantly liked the idea and, you know, started – talking about it. I think I even wrote a book about it. But still, you know, after all this time when I, you know, I've got a presence on Google Plus and I've got a personal page, I've got a business page, um, and I don't have anywhere near as many people having me in circles there as I do um, fans on Facebook, but I still have what I would consider a pretty respectable number. But what I notice is that when I I post something on Google Plus. It just doesn't seem to get anywhere of the engagement. So my assumption is that, yeah, there's a lot of people there, but I don't think they're using it anywhere near as often as they are Facebook or, or Twitter. So, but, you know, they're either not seeing what I said or by the time they see it, they figure it's too late to bother commenting or something. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting is I keep hearing uh, or reading where the gurus are telling people, you know, your business absolutely needs to be on Google Plus. Don't ignore it. And the primary reason is not so much that you you should expect to see a lot of engagement or or a, a lot of fans over there, but the fact that it's tied in so much with Google Search and it's going to really improve your search rankings and all that. The thing I think is a little bit interesting is that I went and checked and I searched for Scott Monty on Google Plus or on Google and. Uh, your Google Plus page comes up number seven, either even though your Twitter page comes up number two and your Facebook page comes up number six. And then I searched for Ford, um, and their Facebook page comes up in the top 20, but their Google Plus page, I never even found it. So I'm just curious. The, you know, that being said, obviously Google Plus is not necessarily, you know, kicking things in gear you know, as far as search goes for you guys, you're still coming up higher, uh, you know, on Facebook and Twitter. So 
I know you're on Google Plus. I know Ford's on Google Plus. Spend a couple minutes. Just tell me what you think about each of the platforms and, and how maybe you and Ford make use of them. Well, I think it's a mistake to think of Google Plus as a destination. Uh, I don't think that's where its true use is, at least at this point. I don't mm-hmm. think Google put the same kind of development into it that other platforms have. The beauty behind Google Plus is that it's a a common thread running through all of uh, Google's uh, products or a number of Google's products at this point. And it's Google's ability to weave them all together and, and put this thread of social throughout everything. Um, and I think that's where the long-term value is going to be. And, and hearing Google talk about it, I, to them, Google Plus isn't, isn't a separate entity. It, it is the future of Google. And when you think about, you know, searching for a particular product or uh, business, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a movie, a restaurant, uh, you know, a, a food, if you Google that and you're friends with people who have uh, Google+, Plus, which essentially becomes lock, stock, and barrel with Gmail now, you'll be able to see the things that they've said about those uh, destinations or products or services. So it becomes, it gives you a layer of social search where you can see contextually what your friends are saying about certain things. So I think there's, there's some incredible value uh, in that. And we that's a have, setting in Google, though, right? I mean, the social search, you can either turn it on or off. You can turn it on or off, yeah. And, that's, and isn't, that's it, isn't it, um, when you turn on social search to see what your friends are talking about, isn't it also showing their activity on other social platforms as well? It's not just Google+, Plus, is it? Um, I'm not sure about that. That would be a question for Google. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just seems like when I, I, I typically leave it off because it, to me it just, I don't really care what my, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I don't care what my friends think when I'm searching for advice on something, but um, I think I tend to, prefer to ask them in person or something rather than seeing what they tweeted about it. But um, So I think I typically have it turned off, but I was thinking when I had it turned on, it it gave you results of what your friends were, were yeah. saying in other places besides Google+. Well, and but, the uh, other thing, too, is that as, as um, Google continues to uh, refine the product and to weave it together with things like um, Google Local, um, it's it becomes more important for small business owners. Um, and, and you can think about the opportunities to weave that into Google Maps as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people are looking for directions to a place, and suddenly you're, you're seeing the, um, the profile of the company. You're seeing the ratings and reviews that go along with that. You know, it's really building toward more of a social business experience for, uh, for people as they uh, use key Google services. And, and mm-hmm. when, when you look at the dozens upon dozens of products that Google has, they're they're really everywhere. And and when you consider that Android devices um, are are uh, greater in number than uh, iOS devices at this point, that's something to be considered. Right. Okay? So there there are there are long term implications there. And this was all part of our thinking here at Ford when we became the first brand on Google Plus two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know exactly how it was going to roll out. But we knew that, look, this is Google, so it's going to be important. It, it's something that we can absolutely cannot ignore. And um, for that reason, you know, we're, we're still in Google+. I think we're, 
trying to evolve our thinking there, trying to bring our global teams along because, um, you know, having a one-size-fits-all approach for uh, a Google Plus company page is not necessarily the thing. We need to tie it so that each each country that has a unique Ford.com type page also has its own unique uh, Google Plus page and can tie the search into that as well. Um, and then we've discovered recently the uh, the benefits of communities. You know, Google Plus turned on this communities aspect, uh, and we're finding that people are centering around a particular passion point rather than around a brand page. So there are uh, photography communities and Mustang communities and all sorts of different things that we're getting involved in uh, mm-hmm. that are beyond just what we want to focus on. So and communities on communities on Google is the equivalent of groups on Facebook. So do you? Do the same thing on Facebook? Do you have groups and encourage activity in those groups? No. No, we don't. Um, And it's primarily because Facebook is a walled-off garden. And um, you're going to get more stickiness in participating in communities on Google Plus than you are uh, in groups on Facebook. Mm -hmm. What about Google Hangouts? Are you making any use of that? We've done some of those. Uh, we brought uh, the Ford Racing team together for some of those. We uh, mm-hmm. we actually had a Hollywood director that joined us on a hangout earlier this year because uh, he um, he actually took on an assignment where he created uh, commercials for our Ford uh, Summer Spectacular Sales event, and he did them in the style of movie trailers. So we thought this was significant enough and different enough. We wanted to kind of pick his brain and kind of get behind the scenes with him. Uh, I thought it was a fascinating use there. So mm-hmm. we're we're using Hangouts in limited formats right now. Um, you know, we we try to experiment with as many different features on as many platforms as we can. Uh, but our priorities at the moment are uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google Plus, YouTube, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram. Uh, we still do work on Flickr. Um, what else? Um, Vine. We haven't done much with Vine at this it's point. It's kind of short. I, <laughs> I can't do much short. in six seconds. <laughs> well, you know, uh, brands like General Electric, uh, GE, have done really amazing things with Vine, where they've got a six-second science fair, and huh. they do these experiments in six seconds or less, uh, just, you know, with, with the use of uh, innovation and imagination and technology, it all ladders up to the corporate brand image of General Electric uh, yeah. has done a really great job uh, using Vine and other platforms. Huh. I'm going to have to go take a look for those. I've tried uh, both Vine and Instagram, and I did a I did um, an Instagram video the other day sort of focusing on the idea of the 15-second issue, and, and it ran out of time at the end. That was supposed to be the joke. But um, even to me, even 15 seconds feels incredibly short. Six seconds. I've seen a lot of the... <laughs> I've seen a lot of the looping ones that kind of be, uh, end up being a little bit effective, and and I've seen a lot of the stop motion stuff that people are doing on Vine. You know that yeah. that's really cute and everything, but um, so I think personally, 15 seconds just seems to work better for me. And yet, there's a, I guess that's back to the old argument when Twitter came out. Remember, everybody said 140 characters. You know, by the time I put a link in there, how am I going to say anything on 110 characters? Um, right. And yet. Now, look, people nowadays are actually having to work at saying something that's longer than 104 characters because we're so used to speaking succinctly. You know, I mean, emails are great. Uh, That's one of the nice side effects with email is 
now when I get emails from people, I don't have to read them for, you know, 15 minutes. They, they keep them short. But, um, you know, so I guess the Vine six seconds will eventually feel long, you know, maybe once we get used to it. But I wanted to um, talk a little bit about how you as Scott Monty and Ford, the corporation, even though you're two separate entities um, and you're an employee, but you still have a very strong social media presence, both as Ford and as Scott Monty, and it seems like most of your social media presence as Scott Monty tends to be um, promoting or talking about Ford. I mean, yeah, you talk about personal things as well, but there's a lot of, you know, the Ford came out with a new Mustang, boom, you've got pictures out there on Facebook and stuff. So, and and I have done the same thing. You know, when I first started, I, I to me, hubris and social identities are are almost interchangeable. When people uh, talk about me or recommend me, they'll say hubris or social identities, and, and people seem to know that either one of those is the same person. For me, you know, I'm the I'm the owner of the company, so it works a little bit different. In your case, um, now that you've built Scott Monty uh, to such a point, and and it's so you know tightly infused with Ford in general, um, just you know, to throw something out here for you, and, and we're certainly hoping you're going to be working for Ford for a long time, but just just let's take a hypothetical and say that at some point in the future, you move on. Um, when you move on as Scott Monty and are now in, expected to, to be working, maybe, in, you know, promoting so, the social department for another big company, um, when you get hired, does social does Scott Monty become... You know, does it have enough cachet that they actually have to buy it from you, or, or you actually going to have to change your name? I was Scott Monty before I came to Ford. I'll be Scott Monty <laughs> after I leave Ford. Yeah, I, I don't know though. You Ford. see a lot of that where people have, you know, their well, once their name becomes associated with something that tightly, you know. Well, look, Steve Jobs left Apple at one time. You know, they didn't revoke his name and his identity. Right. Uh, Alan Alan Mulally, our CEO, is going to leave Ford eventually. You know, this is part of business, and any good business has a succession plan for uh, for management, and uh, this is no different. And one of the reasons Ford hired me is because of my reputation and because of the uh, validity I brought to the space and because of uh, being a recognized expert in the field. And yeah, it's been amplified since I've been here, but I haven't built my brand on the back of Ford. I already had a well-established brand before I got here. Right, so, yeah, and that was my point. I mean, you haven't built your brand on the back of Ford. I think, in a way, Ford's on your back. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, I, I don't. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, you know, the company's 110 years old. It did perfectly fine before I got here. I'm sure it'll oh, do sure. well if and after I leave. But you know, it's. Yes, there's an incredible intersection of you know the, the personal and the, the business at this point, and I think first of all, I think the future of social is uh, less what we've seen lately in terms of it being a standalone and being you know highly focused on, and it'll simply become integrated into everything we do. So you know. I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, another social job somewhere else is the future. You know, I think digital is much broader than that. I think, you know, the way management and leadership thinks about it is important. And these are some of the things that I'm starting to think about for 
even evolving my own blog, um, you know, how we get beyond social and how we get to thinking about bigger business impacts. Um, so I think that's going to be part of the evolution as well. Uh, it's just right. an absolutely fascinating time to be involved in all of this and to be able to kind of chart the course. Right. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, um, you know, to me, I posted on Facebook the other day, and I it was, I guess, um, Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember, and I asked, you know, how many people work a five-day work week and get, two days off or, or, you know, do you work on the weekends? And, you know, the way I look at it, it's, um, I don't really think of it as work, you know, but, um, so for me working on a Saturday, I don't really consider it working. It's just something I do. And it's part of almost part of my everyday life now, you know, in some ways you kind of have to pull yourself away, you know, your wife's Mm -hmm. over there. Hey, she wants to blow the candles out on the cake. You know, (laughs) can you get off Facebook for a minute? But, uh, um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty cool. But it's just that, you know, whenever I think of Scott Monty or I see Scott Monty anywhere, um, you know, I instantly think Ford, even though you, you do other things. Now, at ScottMonty.com, um, you know, you talk about social media and marketing in general, not necessarily how it relates to Ford. Um, I think I saw that you, uh, what, you're a co-contributor on a blog uh, about diners or something, or so you're a... You travel around the, yeah, trying out the diners that, and talking about them. That old nugget, yeah. You know, a colleague and I used to like uh, heading to these uh, real food places instead of just fast food places. And yeah, uh, back when we thought we'd have more time on our hands, we uh, we threw that together. Haven't really contributed contributed to it in years, partly because there aren't really any diners here in uh, southeastern Michigan. Right. I think there's there's three total, and one of them is inside of a museum. So uh, it kind <laughs> okay. of cuts down on my, my diner visits. But, you know, as with anything, it's about having a passion about something, um, being interested enough to bring your unique spin to it, and you find the time to do it. You know, I, right. I've been doing, uh, I've been interested in Sherlock Holmes for uh, more than half of my lifetime, and I've actually done a lot of experimentation with blogging and podcasting around that particular topic that acts as a uh, a laboratory for me to understand how people are interacting with with uh, these new media and what's going to fly and what's not and you know allows me to test those things outside of my professional life and outside of the circle of geeks that typically surround the marketing and social media world that we're so hyper focused we get so wrapped up in the next platform well have we thought beyond ourselves to understand how the mainstream would think about it and that hobby actually allows me to to test out some of those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- so I thought we're, we're got what about ten minutes left here or something. This would be a great uh, segue because um, I did want to talk to you about your interest in Sherlock Holmes, and and I I too uh, have always had a fascination with Holmes. You know, read all his books when I or all of the books when I was a kid and um you know I've watched lots of movies and lots of TV I always I was a big fan of uh, Jeremy Brett's version of Holmes that ran on PBS for a few years um when you say about half your life so is this something that sort of came up around the time you were um in college or you know and how how did it happen no it was it was before that I uh oh, okay went to the went to the beach one summer, grabbed the book out of the library, and um it was a a, a bunch of short 
well, not only short stories, but a couple of novels from uh, the Sherlock Holmes uh, anthology. And um, I was just hooked, immediately hooked. Went back to school in the fall, and the teacher said, look, you, you have to do a, uh, a research paper, and part of this class is we're teaching you how to do primary and secondary research, how to cite it in, uh, in your written work, and uh, how to put a paper together. And you can pick whatever author you want. So I chose Conan Doyle. And lo and behold, our school library and our town library didn't really have a lot of material. They certainly had all the stories, but they didn't have like secondary material. And um, I bemoaned that case to the teacher, thinking I could get out of the assignment. <laughs> and uh, she was a little too savvy for me. And she said, you know, I just I happened to see uh, a segment on Evening Magazine on TV last night with a guy right here in Connecticut who has a Sherlock Holmes club. Why don't you call up the television station, get his name, call him up and interview him, and document that as primary research and see what you can come up with. So I did that, and uh, Harold Tyke Niver answered the phone, Baskerville <laughs> Hall, and we were perfect off and running. Perfect name. And it is absolutely perfect name. And he said, you know, we, we have this meeting twice a year, the spring and the fall, down at Gillette Castle. William Gillette was a, uh, an actor and a, a writer and director in the early part of the 1900s who portrayed Sherlock Holmes for many years, and he built this castle. So we meet at his castle uh, every spring and fall. Come on down and check us out. Well, I had my dad drive me down because I wasn't of driving age yet, and I met people from presidents to plumbers and everything in between that all had this common interest. And while we didn't spend the entire meeting talking and thinking about Sherlock Holmes, we talked about our lives, where we were from, uh, you know, who we knew, uh, things we were interested in. And do you know, that became my first social network. And everywhere I've gone, every city I go to, every place I travel, I find that there is usually a local group of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts who are kind of like the Rotary Club. They'll invite you in and, you know, take you out to dinner. And because you're a member, they open up their homes and their uh, workplaces to you. And it, it, it's become this really, uh, really interesting subset of people that are all bound together by this one character. Mm-hmm. Was that the is that the Baker Street Irregulars this organization well, BSI, you're talking about or is that something else? BSI is like the it's like the uh, umbrella organization uh, uh-huh. of, uh, of of Sherlock Holmes Associations. That's by invitation only, and then you've got all these local Scion societies as they call themselves uh, all around the world, and um, anybody can usually join those clubs, but uh, you have to be invited to join the BSI. Mm-hmm. And so is this something that goes to the point of uh, dressing up like Holmes and, and reenacting scenes from the books and stuff? Or uh, Not really. That's, no. There are some people that do that, but they're kind of on the fringe. Like the Civil uh, War reenactments and stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, it's not quite that much. It, it, at the most, you'll get people wearing a deerstalker to the, to the <laughs> meetings, but that's about it. Oh, okay. So it's not quite as uh, extreme as showing up with the pipe and all that stuff? No. Hey, that it seems like it'd be kind of fun, though. You know, pick a scene from uh, from Hound of the Baskervilles and everybody do their part. Um, <clears throat> so the um, 
yeah, and I, I wish I could remember what the heck it was you said you were buying the other day at that men's store because it was sounded like something that it, def- <laughs> it sounded like something that you used to hold up your socks or uh, no, it was a sort of an antique sounding word, and I thought for sure you were oh, you know, buying, you know what it was? buying your I, outfit. I was, I was at um, I was in New York last week. And I stopped by a uh, a store in Hell's Kitchen that I uh, go to a couple times a year. It's called Fine and Dandy. That's it. That's the and one. I stopped there. I, I bought a pair of braces. Braces? Or suspenders, as most people know them. There right. you go. Suspenders, yes. suspenders clip-on. Braces are the ones that button to your pants. Right. Uh, but I bought a pair of gray cashmere braces. Yeah, I saw that somebody had asked you, and then you replied that you had bought these braces. So just the first thing that popped into mind was you were shopping for your Sherlock Holmes outfit. <laughs> so you you typically wear suspenders? <laughs> um, it depends on the pants. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, they, if they have the buttons ready for them, uh, I, I tend right. to. But uh, yeah. you know, it depends on the outfit too. So. Well, we got a. It looks like only a couple minutes left here, so probably. Instead of freaking the producer out and running long, um, I thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, when I sent you the email, I found out from uh, Deb that she was had asked me to co-host the show, and you know, one, I'd I'd say that you were probably the first name to pop into mind. On mine, it might be that that was right around the time that I was redesigning your Twitter background for you. <laughs> so, I don't know if it's I don't know if that's why your name was so. Uh, you know, foremost in my thinking, but definitely you were one of the first people I thought of. And then I went ahead and made up a list figuring that, you know, sure you were going to say, Oh, I don't have time. I'm way too busy to, you know, talk to you on a little radio show. So, uh, anyway, I emailed you, you emailed me back. You said, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. And I was excited. Um, I posted a, that, I don't know. I think you remember that post. I posted a picture of, uh, 221 B Baker street on the door and, said I had a mystery guest lined up for the show and I was I thought it was kind of a the Sherlock Holmes thing just made it kind of fun for me but uh so uh it, you know I was it was amazing here I, I'm just really interested in what you had to say about Google too because um you know a lot of people you know they they like it but you know they, they just don't know that they see what's the the real benefit of it so I think you probably yeah. helped clear that up for a lot of people and yeah. um so Thanks for spending the time talking to me, and um, just uh, thanks for every thanks to everybody for joining us today. Uh, be sure to tune in next week at the same time. Uh, I think Deb is on vacation next week as well. So I'm not sure who her guest host is going to be, but uh, so this has been Hugh Briss with SocialIdentities.com. Good day. Thank you for being a friend. Shows, great music, milehighradio.com. What are you listening to? This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.